listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. All right, if you can take your Bibles and turn to 1 John, 1 John chapter 5, as we continue on in our series in 1 John, and the ushers are coming forward, they have Bibles, and we would love to have a Bible for any of you that um, need a Bible this morning, encourage people, have a Bible, have a copy of God's Word in your hand. If, it, if you don't have one at home, take that copy home with you. We love to give out Bibles in that way, and uh, we would ask you would read it, and as you do, God can change and transform a heart. He can change and transform your heart um, through um, his word. And I trust that um, this morning you would follow along, have your connection cards, the top part handy there to write down some notes or a journal as there will be scripture references. I'd love for you to study and to uh, look at these verses throughout the course of this week and, 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 and just to continue on in this study through the word of God here as we've been going through 1 John, this wonderful book. Now, throughout our lives, all of us, we will make some pretty important decisions. And we make important decisions in life. And, and, and I remember one of my first big important decisions, and that was buying my first car. And uh, there, there you see it, a 1988 Mazda 323 in all of its coolness and torque and um, gutlessness. And yet I remember after paying for that car, this, this like, oh, did I make the right decision? Was it the right decision to spend all of my savings on this car? And, and uh, that car actually worked really quite well for me. And uh, I'm thankful for it. But then we face other bigger decisions, bigger than a purchase of a car, um, we, we, we decide on schooling, our education, our career, our marriage, or um, um, who to marry, if we should get married, uh, buying a house, big, big decision, having children, where you live, all of these different sort of decisions that we have to make, and some of these, they're big decisions, they're life-altering decisions that we make throughout our lives, but the biggest decision that you, that I will ever make comes down to Jesus. What have you decided, what are you truly deciding about Jesus? This is the biggest decision that you will make. And ultimately, what you decide about Jesus will be evidenced by how you live your life. How you're living your life right now is an indication of the decision so far that you have made regarding Jesus Christ. But then, another important question as we talk about Jesus, it's what Jesus are you following? When John the Apostle was writing this letter, there were false teachers who were promoting a different Jesus than the Jesus that we see portrayed for us in the Word of God. It was a different Jesus than he had experienced and witnessed firsthand as a close and dear friend of Jesus Christ. He was an eyewitness. He was in, in, if you want to call it, the inner circle, the inner three of Jesus' closest friends. And the Jesus that they were describing and talking about and getting people to follow was a different Jesus with different teachings, new revelations, new teachings that were, were not consistent with the teaching of Jesus of Nazareth, the Jesus that he had witnessed. And today it is very much the same kind of pressure that we're facing. There are new teachings. There are false teachers claiming a higher knowledge or that you can have higher or deeper or different experiences. And they're altering and downplaying the Bible's de description and depiction of Jesus Christ. And today we are bombarded with these kind of teachings in other religions, in cults, but it's even creeping into the evangelical church even today. People then, as well as today, claim that Jesus was not divine, that he was not truly the Son of God, that he was a good man, a good example, someone to follow, but he was not the Son of God. And today we have to ask, our, ask ourselves, what Jesus are we following? Is it the one that we see in Scripture, or is it the one that is defined by our culture today? The one that is defined by how I personally feel about Jesus, 
or some teacher who is straying away from the truth, how he feels and understands Jesus in his own terms. My parents are involved in Regina in a ministry that is ministering to um, Muslims and especially to refugees who have come to Regina. Many have moved in there from, from various countries in the recent years. And so they have been part of a ministry. Even, even a couple of weeks ago, they ran a summer camp for, these, for, for the children and, and an opportunity for them to have fun, but they had people there teaching them about Jesus, the biblical depiction of Jesus. And it's interesting as they've been a part of this ministry, they've been taken to task in the media as well as by some in the evangelical ministerial in Regina because of statements that they have made about desiring to evangelize Muslims, to be able to tell them about Jesus Christ. And they have been rebuked and they've been told by Christian people that you don't need to evangelize, that all paths lead to God. The Muslims are on their path to God and we are on the path to God and we are not to judge. We are just to love. And, and, and yes, there's a part we are to love, but we are also to be able to preach the gospel. And I love this statement. You hear this statement and, and it's, it's not a good statement to live your life by. Um, there's some hints and there's some truth to it. Preach the word of God always and sometimes, if necessary, use words. It's nice and it makes it, it's nice on a mug or a t-shirt or something like that. But, but more importantly, this is the reality. This is how that, that quote should go. Preach the gospel and since words are necessary, use them. All right? We are to preach the gospel. We are to preach Jesus. Not just the love of God, that, that God is a God of love, but that that love was demonstrated in and through his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who died in our place for our sins, and that there's no other name by which we can be saved other than Jesus even Christian publishers, even of this day, and it's been going on already for um, probably last 15 to 20 years, who, who even recognize or, or publish books that say you don't need to really know about Jesus or about the gospel to go to heaven, just to have some sort of belief in God, and God will fill in the blanks. Again, the gospel, the name of Jesus, is the only thing that saves. And it's not my words, it is the word of God that we will be looking at here this morning. Today, there are many who believe even, it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you believe in, re, and, and, and no matter what you do in regards to your lifestyle, as long as you're sincere, as long as you are sincere, God will accept you. But the danger of believing in sincerity like that is that you may be sincerely wrong. And sincerity won't get you anywhere. And today we're even seeing that it's no longer a matter of right or wrong. It's more a matter of perspective. No, the God's word calls us and teaches us what is right, what is wrong. And we are to pay attention and to make changes and to live our lives according to his word. There are others who believe, well, all I have to do is just say a prayer. Do some religious stuff and then I can basically just, just, just live my life basically the way that I want. I can call the shots. I can pursue my own goals, my own dreams, have my own Jesus in a sense. And, and it's kind of like keeping Jesus in your backpack or as an you know, app on your phone. You know, just, just to be there, just, just to have, just in case there's a need or, or you get into trouble in your life and you just go on the Jesus app and, and you know, to, to, to get help and, and, and for him to be there in our life. Folks, we are not free to redefine Jesus and how we are to follow him. We just don't follow him and define him however we want. The Bible has already defined Jesus and the Bible already has to tells us how we are to live in a relationship with him. And so I ask you the question here this morning, what have you decided about Jesus? What Jesus are you following today? And this is the entire theme of the book of 1 John, is that we would have an authentic faith, an authentic faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why he continues to cycle back throughout these five chapters to similar themes. And in the book of John, and when you read 1 John uh, from chapter 1 to chapter 5, you end up seeing there's two words that are used continuously throughout the book. The word know and the word love. These words both appear dozens of times in five chapters. And basically, if you want to boil it down, is John the Apostle wrote this 
letter under the influence of the Holy Spirit so that you and I and all people could know that we are loved by God. He wants us to know and be certain that we will one day have eternal life, that we are loved by God and are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants us to know that we are God's son, we are God's daughter, and it's not just like flipping a coin that by the time we get to the end of our life, well, I hope I've done enough good in order to get to heaven. I hope that what I've, you know, prayed and what I've done is, no, he wants us to know. He wants us to walk out of here even today with an understanding and an examination of our own hearts to see, are we in the faith? This is what this series, this authentic series is all about. And this is where Keith left things off last week at the end, uh, or at um, verse 4 of chapter 5. And these words are up on the screen, and then we'll get into the new part in a moment. This is how it ended. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Salvation, life in Christ, eternal life comes by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. There's no other name that we can be saved. And it's believing that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, fully God, fully man, the perfect, sinless Son of God who died in our place on the cross for our sins, taking the punishment for our sins and the wrath of God that we deserved upon himself. And this is the way that we can be saved by having the right understanding of Jesus Christ. And when this happens, it changes us from the inside out. And we are desired, we're desiring and we are compelled to want to obey the word of God. And we are empowered by the word of God to do it. And so we see an authentic faith is about believing about Jesus rightly and obedience to the word of God. And it's being expressed in a love for God and a love for others. And John doesn't want anyone to be deceived. And that's why he keeps cycling. And that's why for the last 13 weeks or so, we've been cycling through these themes. Because they're of utmost importance. And these are truths that we need to be sure of. Examine our own lives. And then the news that we have to get out there and share with others around us. And so this is in the passage we're going to look at here today in in 1 John chapter 5. We're going to look at six verses from verses 6 to 12. Here John gives to us some very convincing evidence to why we ought to believe in and trust in Jesus. Now over the years, um, I've... I've at times have had to piece together some evidence in order to um, get to the bottom of a certain situation. Years ago, when we lived in Alberta, there was one night that our house got egged. And I was a little upset about it, and, and I did a little searching around, and I found the evidence, I saw the eggs, but the people who didn't weren't very smart because it had snowed that night. And then it was very easy to see fresh tracks in the snow from the back alley leading to the house where they came from. But I I was a little even smarter than just following the tracks back. I went and got some of the evidence because it was brown eggs. They were brown eggshells. And so I picked up the the eggshells, put in my hand, followed the tracks back to the house. It was a few houses down across the alley where I knew some teenagers lived, questionable teenagers, I guess uh, one could say. And, uh, and, and, and I rang the doorbell and the mother came in and I said, um, excuse me, kind of a dumb question, but do you use brown eggs? And she's like, yes, yes, we do. I said, oh, I said, because some of them were on our house last night and ended up on our house. And, and then I, it was like the smoking gun, like I just brought it out. And I said, because some of them ended up on our house last night and I followed the footsteps right to your door. It's like, busted. Oh, yeah. I, I just like that was such a moment for me. I was like so Jack Bauer-ish, you know, like it was so cool. And, and I just loved that, you know, and. And then there was another time I pulled up to our, back, to our garage and it was in the back alley area and our back gate was open. And I thought, this is strange because that gate's not easy to open. And I go into the backyard and in the garden I find three thieves caught red-handed. Three boys about ages eight to nine hunkering down on our corn. They had picked the finest and the nicest cobs of corn that my wife was treasuring and... Um, 
and they were eating it raw. I mean, every cob was destroyed by these young vandals. So I took them and I put them up against the garage and I gave them a stern talking to about stealing what Jesus thought of. Oh, I laid it on thick. I, it was a good sermon that I gave these young boys. And then I thought, I'm going to take it up a notch. And so I, I marched them to their homes. I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell your dear sweet little mothers and fathers about you, what you kids have done. And so I took them and, and uh, reported them to their authority. And uh, about uh, three quarters of an hour later or so, there was a ring of the doorbell. And there was this little boy and his mom. And he had a sack of corn and he had a note. And he said to me, sorry for stealing your corn. And his note was an apology, and it was a picture of him. I don't know if it was stealing it or just what. I can't. I should have kept it. It was so awesome. And, uh, and, and the mother was very apologetic. She said he bought this sack of corn from, from the local grocer. It wasn't very good corn. But it was, it was corn nonetheless, and with his own money. And here it, he is to, to pay this back. And, and as he was walking away, it, he and his mother were walking away. I said, and Jesse, the next time you come around here, you better say hi, because you and I are friends. And we shook hands, and, and he left. Well, the shock of all shocks, that was a Friday night. On Sunday morning, I'm a pastor of a church in a small town, and guess who comes walking up the front walk of the church? Jesse and his mother. Can you imagine the shock on my face? But even better yet, I'd love to see the video if it, in heaven one day, perhaps so we can go back and see the tapes. The look on their face when they realized they ripped off the pastor's corn. You know, and, and it was just like, oh, you know, just, just shock and just like, oh, you know, and she said, but that woke me up that I better do something. Would you know it was a few years later I had the privilege of baptizing Jesse upon confession of his faith in Jesus Christ. You know, those kind of things are, are very special. But in, in both of those situations, in both cases, I had very strong evidence to implicate the criminals involved, didn't I? I mean, the evidence was, I mean, caught them red-handed. In others, it was just, it was a slam dunk case closed. And see, evidence is a very important thing when it comes to determining right and wrong and deter determining the truth. And today's passage here in 1 John, it gives us the ultimate convincing evidence and testimony to the life, the deity of Jesus Christ as the one and only Savior of the world. And that his work on the cross makes a difference. And his work on the cross is the only way that we can be saved. And John is writing, us, writing to us here in these verses, these convincing truths and these evidences. But they're not just his own. These are not just witnesses and, and, and evidences that, that we've already understood. These are the witnesses and the evidence, the testimony of God himself. As you see in verses 9 and 11. And it's not like we already, throughout the word of God, already have testimony and witnesses and, and, and evidence regarding Jesus. The Old Testament give hundreds, hundreds of prophecies concerning Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. There's hundreds of prophecies that he fulfilled completely, fully fulfilled them. In the New Testament, we have the gospel writers giving witness to the testimony and the power of the Son of God. We have John the Baptist declaring, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Matthew 27, we have a pagan Roman centurion upon seeing Jesus on the cross and, 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 and experiencing what he experienced and saw and saw the way that Jesus died that day called out and said, surely this man is the Son of God. We have all of this evidence, all of these testimonies to people declaring Jesus as who he says he is. In John 10, even Jesus himself said, I and the Father are one, as Jesus declared his own deity and his relationship with God the Father. We have many more witnesses that we could, could give testimony, that would give testimony of Jesus. But here in these verses in John chapter 5, we have three witnesses, three evidences concerning Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. And these are, are testimonies and evidences from God himself. Here is what God had to say about his own son. And in these verses that we're going to read here in a moment, you're going to see one word 
depending what translation you have pop up many times. If you're using the ESV as well as other translations, you'll see the word testimony or testify or the word born is also the, uh, the same word that is used, um, the same root word, whether it's a noun form or verb form. And it, some translations you might have instead of testimony or, or, or testify, you'll see the word witness here that is used. And it's used no less than 10 times. And so when you see in these few of verses, a word used this many times, you need to pay attention to it. Just, just, just that's one of the, the, the good ways to study the word of God in, in that way. And so the Greek root word um, here that is used for testimony or testify, as, as we'll see here in a moment, is where we also now get the word martyr from. And it's interesting, how do you get from testify and witness the word martyr? It's the same root word. Where do we get that from? How does that go about? Well, you have to understand this. It's pretty easy to understand because, because men and women throughout the centuries were willing to give their life to the testimony as witnesses of the gospel, witnesses and testimonies of Jesus Christ. And they were willing to give their lives for it. And so therefore we get the word martyr from that. So many people have died and are going to even, there will be those who will die today to give their lives for the sake and the name of Jesus Christ. Are you willing to give your life for these truths? If you were put in a position to give your life for the truth of the gospel, to either deny Christ, and if you don't deny Christ, to be killed, would you do it? But are we even just willing in our own comfortable lives here in North America, are we willing to say no, to die to our own selfish, worldly passions and pursuits in order to follow Christ? Are you ready to be a witness, a martyr for the sake of the gospel in your life? So let's read here these verses starting at verse 6 of 1 John 5. This is the one, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by the, by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning him, concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. And so as you read through that passage, at first you're like, huh, what are they talking about? There's water, there's blood, there's testimony, there's testify. What is this all about? What does this say? Well, here we see there are three testimonies, three evidences that God himself has given to us regarding Jesus. Remember in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 17, in order for a truth to be established, there had to be two or three witnesses. Well, here we get three witnesses. We get the full up, not two witnesses. We get three witnesses. And so this morning, I encourage you to write down these three witnesses that we see concerning Christ. These are witnesses from God himself, the water, the blood, and the spirit. So let's look at verse six. It says, this is he who came by water and the blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. Some say that the water, and, and, and there's reason for, for some disagreement here. Various scholars have, have different interpretations of this here. All we know is that what they're talking about here, it's concerning Jesus. The subject that they're talking about is not in question. But there are some who believe that the water is a reference to, to the fluid at birth indicating that Jesus was born of a woman, that, that, that he was born from Mary. And, and you have the fluid of, of birth in the water, and then later you have the fluid of death in the blood. 
And so some interpret it that way. Others would say that, that this was a reference to the water and blood that flowed out of the side of Jesus when he was crucified, when, when the Roman guard went and, and, and pierced him with a spear and water and blood flowed out from Jesus. Some say this is what it is a reference to, but most Bible scholars would believe, and as I've studied this this week, I believe that it is just so clear that this is God's testimony to us of the baptism of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 3, and I encourage you to, to read that this week, you see this dramatic event take place. John the Baptist is at the Jordan River, and he's baptizing people. And Jesus comes here in this public setting. And, and John is baptizing people. And, and understand this, this wasn't believer baptism. This was a baptism of repentance. John the Baptist, he was a preacher. He was a radical preacher. He was a hard preacher. He called out sin. He called people to repent and to turn back to God and to be cleansed of their sin, and as an outward act of that repentance to show that an inner work in their heart was taking place, that they desired to turn away and to repent from their sins, he would baptize them, and it was a baptism of repentance, just, just with the significance and the understanding that, that water, that, that sin makes us dirty, but the water makes us clean. And so, so John the Baptist was, was calling people to repent and, and, and to turn to God and repent. And, and, and also this was being done as a preparation for the Messiah that would come. And so Jesus comes here into this scene and John the Baptist sees him and declares, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What a statement that he made. But then, shock of all shocks, Jesus says to John, he says, now you need to baptize me. And he's like, no way, I'm not going to baptize you. I'm, I, if anyone should be doing the baptism, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, John, you need to baptize me. And you say, well, why did Jesus need to get baptized? I mean, he, he was without sin, and it was only the sinful people that were needing to be baptized. Why did Jesus want to get baptized? He wasn't a sinner, but he did it as a way to identify himself with us and to fulfill all righteousness, we're told. Jesus was baptized out of obedience to his father. And it would be something that he would then ask all his followers to do. We as followers of Christ, it is crystal clear in the Great Commission that when we receive Christ, and we see it through the book of Acts, that when we receive Christ as Savior and Lord, we then follow that up in obedience to baptism. This was Jesus being obedient, and baptism is a picture, an understanding of our obedience to Jesus Christ. And so here we have Jesus, the perfect Son of God, fully God, fully human, being baptized to identify with sinners and to show his obedience towards the commands of God. And when Jesus comes up out of the water, we have one of the most dramatic scenes that we see in, in, in all of history. Here we have all three members of the Trinity present. As God the Father, in the voice, cries out from, from the heavens, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. You see, when Clarice was filling out her application for Bible school recently, Clarice's are daughter just graduated from grade 12 she needed to get some references and and some she just needed to provide some names and phone numbers or email addresses but then she also needed to get some references a written reference that would be done and 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 oftentimes you need to do this for a job or for for education for scholarships for different things like that 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 you need to fill out forms like this and and get some reference letters well, she took and, and asked one of the teachers that has been teaching her at the high school that she's been at for the last um, four years or so, uh, this teacher that has taught her to do this reference letter for her. And when she got it, it was just beautiful just to see this description. And, and it was true, it was accurate, but it was kind of neat to hear and to see someone apart from you, who's been observing and seeing what's going on, give reference or, or give testimony to a life, and, and in this case, to our daughter. And, and it was a neat thing to be able to see. You see, it was one thing for John the Baptist to declare, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
It was one thing later on to have the Roman centurion cry out, truly this is the Son of God. It was one thing of the transfiguration to have the disciples that were there and see the glory and see all of that and say, and worship Jesus as the Son of God. But now you have the God of this universe declaring once and for all, case, set, point, match. I don't know if I said that in the right order, but done deal. This is my son, my one and only son. And we have the God of this universe declaring Jesus as his son, his one and only son. This is just a beautiful description of what we see here. Jesus, the son, we see this through the water. We see the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus in the form of a dove. It wasn't this dove that kind of came circling and landed on his shoulder. It was in the form of a dove that the Holy Spirit was there. And so we have the Father, we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit. And so we have the water as a evidence, as God's evidence to us. Jesus' baptism declaring his deity. But the second witness that we see here in this passage is the blood. And this has to do with the sacrifice for the redeeming work of Christ. And in Luke chapter 22, this is speaking about blood. We start to see that this was a blood sacrifice. And, and in Luke 22:44, we see that Jesus, when he was in the garden and he was praying, and we see that he was sweating, what drops of blood? The blood started to flow, which is medically possible for someone who is under excruciating pressure and tremendous burden. And Jesus was in the garden and he was sweating drops of blood. But then we see more blood as he is betrayed by Judas, denied by Peter. And in Luke twenty-two sixty-three, 63, he's beaten. More blood is flowing. And then after that, he's standing trial. In Matthew 27, verse 26, we see that Pilate then orders Jesus to be flogged. This time with a lead-tipped whip and more blood starts to flow. Then in verse 29, they, they, they put a crown of thorns on his head. Again, more blood. And then he's crucified, more blood. And the forgiveness of our sin comes through the shedding of his blood. And the blood gives testimony to this. And while Jesus was hanging on the cross, there were a number of things that were initiated by God in a very divine way. The divine hand of God was at work. As Jesus was hanging on the cross at midday for three hours, in the middle of the day, there was darkness throughout the land. When Jesus cried out, it is finished. The veil of the temple was torn in two. No man could do this. This was an act of God. The, the temple was torn in that way. The veil in the temple could not be, could be remade um, and, and did not need to be remade because now this was a declaration that Jesus' death once and for all now provides for us the access that we have to God. And at that time, the earth shook. God shook the earth, rocks split in two. And in a dramatic way, as you continue to keep reading in the Gospels, we even see that saints who had died came to life and went into the cities and gave testimony that death had been defeated. This is God's witness through the blood of Christ that the, he was the one atoning sacrifice for our sins. Folks, this is our wonderful Savior. This is what he has done. And here God has given evidence to us of his son and his sacrifice. I think one of the appropriate ways for us to respond to this truth, the message isn't quite done as you see the band here already. This isn't them moving me out. It's us moving up. I encourage you to stand as we worship the Lord. I believe our response, we're not done yet, so hold on. We're going to keep studying the word together. But at this point, I think worship is an appropriate response to these two important witnesses. When I, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain. I count but loss and poor content. 
tempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast. of Christ my God all the vain things that charm me most I sacrifice them to his blood See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love float me, go down, did air such love and sorrow. So rich a crown Would the whole realm of nature mine my soul my life my all Father we thank you for this truth we thank you that when we look upon the witness of the son of God who came to us through the water through obedience through love and then the witness of the cross declaring once and for all our sins can be forgiven. Once and for all, the payment has been made. The wrath of God was turned upon Jesus and is no longer towards those who put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. And indeed, that last line of the song, love so amazing, so divine, demands our all. And would we examine our hearts in light of these truths now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we have the two witnesses, the water and the blood. And then thirdly, we have the witness of the Holy Spirit. Look at in verse 6, and it says, The Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three, they agree. They're in full agreement on Jesus you see, the Holy Spirit was involved in the conception of Jesus in Matthew 1. We read about that. We see Jesus was led by the power of the Holy Spirit in Mark chapter 1. Jesus spoke in the power of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 3. Jesus and the miracles that he was done, that he did, were all done in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 10, we see that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus promised his Holy Spirit to all of us then who would believe upon him, what a truth that is, that not only was Jesus anointed, Jesus had the Holy Spirit upon him. He promised it then to you and to I, to all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We see that in John chapter 14. And then in Romans 8, 16, the Holy Spirit will then bear witness, bear evidence, bear the truth concerning Jesus. It says the Spirit bears witness in Romans 8 with our spirit that we are children of God. Now in verse 10 here of 
1 John 5, it says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Do you have the testimony in yourself? Do you know the testimony of the Holy Spirit in your life? You see, this is an amazing thing that not only do we have the external evidence, the historical truth, as we see here, as, as we've outlined here in the first two witnesses, but we can also have an internal witness to these truths. You see, when we truly surrender ourselves to Christ and we believe and embrace Jesus Christ as the Son of God by faith for the forgiveness of our sins, and we receive the free gift of eternal life, the Holy Spirit comes into us and he comes alive in us. He doesn't come dead. He comes alive in us and does this work of regeneration in us. And from that point, as we are undergoing this process called then sanctification of becoming more and more like Christ, the Holy Spirit is the internal witness, convicting us, reminding us of sin. Our conscience, our, 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 our desires start to change and become more in line with that of God because we have the Holy Spirit giving witness to us. The Holy Spirit guides us to truth, illuminates our understanding of the Word of God, supplies us with power and strength and His peace and His presence during life's difficult and troubled times. He gives us spiritual gifts that we did not have before that we are to use for the body of Christ. Are you doing that today? Are you living in the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you know His witness in your life? Are your desires becoming more and more like Christ or are they becoming more and more like the world? You see, we're not talking about religion. We're not talking about doing a whole bunch of do's and don'ts. Religion says you do certain things and don't do certain things. But authentic Christianity, life in the Spirit, is that you do things and you want to do things that God wants you to do. It becomes a love relationship in that way. And our desires align more and more with God's desires. You have an increased desire. And when you're not doing it, a guilt, a conviction to read the Bible, to pray, to worship with God's people. That when a week goes by and, and you can't be in church, it makes it a very long week till the next week because you want to be with God's people. You have a desire to want to get together with God's people to study the word of God, to learn together, to, to make war in those areas of sin in your life, to pray for and with one another, to come out to prayer times in that because you want to and, and you know that, that, that and, and it's, you might think, well, I just feel guilty when I don't. No, that's the Holy Spirit reminding you, hey, I want to go pray with some of my people. I want to go study the word. You've got some edges. You've got some stuff that need to be worked out and you can't do it on your own and I want to help you, but I'm going to do it together with the body of Christ working in you and through you. God has given us the body of Christ. And there's a joy and there's a peace that trans, transcends all understanding. I absolutely love hearing. Well, I don't love hearing the tragic stories of God's people. But at times, if a tragic story is to happen, I prefer it to happen to God's people. You say, that's kind of cruel. Yeah, but we have a power source that others do not have. We can have then a perspective that allows us to see God working in and through this. We have a power that will sustain us, that can give us his power and his peace. At times when your life should be falling apart, there's a strength. There's a, a vitality to, to your life. And it's not emotion and it's not adrenaline. That, that stuff is long gone. It is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. That is the ministry, the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that witness in your life? Do you have that witness in your life? If you don't, if you say, I don't know if I know what you're talking about, folks, you have to, then it's a very good question that you need to ask yourself, am I truly saved? Do I know Christ? Because the person that God saves, the person that turns and surrenders themselves to God and turns and repents from their sin and turns toward God, the Holy Spirit comes into you and starts to do this work in you. You say, well, I, I had it. I felt it. I know what you're talking about, but boy, it's been, it's been weeks, months, and decades. The Holy Spirit 
It's still there if you're a genuine believer, but perhaps you've quenched the spirit. You've been distracted. You're pursuing other things, not the God things. You're consuming the little God things, the idols, the pursuits of this world. They've become much bigger, and God has become so, so much smaller. Who's done that? Not him. You. And so we turn, we repent, we come back to God. For some might say, hey, I went to camp, summer camp when I was a kid, and you know, I got saved, I got baptized, I did these different things. That may have just been an emotional experience, one that lasted for a season. And, and, if, and, and if that, when the emotion runs out, that's when the Holy Spirit comes alive in the life of a believer. And if we don't have that, we have to examine our lives. Maybe you're feeling flatlined today, and, 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 and you agree, that, you know, at the water, you're convinced of that Jesus is fully God, fully human, baptized in obedience to his Father's command. You believe that. You believe in the blood penalty was paid for for our sin but you have not yet experienced this reality in your life of the holy spirit at work in and through you and this is the point where we need to examine our lives we need to examine our hearts can you personally give testimony to holy spirit to these three witnesses in your life the water the blood and the holy spirit and you know what the holy spirit gives his personal yes and amen to the promises of God. When these promises are proclaimed, there's something within you. And go, yes, that's true. That's right. I'm not there, but I need to get there. I need to get back there. Would you do that even today? Now, let, let's look here at how we can close off the, this passage here in verse 10. We'll look at these last few verses really quickly. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. See, there's, there's the testimony himself. Who, who's the testimony? It's the Holy Spirit. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the, li- who, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have the life. That would be a great last verse to memorize and to know and to keep this as a passion in your own heart, when you see what's going on in our world with other religions or even what can be taught in other churches today, folks, whoever has the Son, the Son as we see here in the Word of God, has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. There is only one name, and it is Jesus that we can be saved. And you see, in these verses, there's bad news, and then there's some really great news. And the thing is, if you don't believe or if you don't have the testimony of these three concerning Christ, you don't have eternal life. And if that's the case, then you, if you think, well, yeah, I can have eternal life. I, I can get to heaven on my own merits. I can get to heaven and I don't have to believe this or have this inner witness thing of the Holy Spirit going on in my life. No, it says here, it's not me saying, you're a liar. You're making God into a liar. And that's serious business. It's pretty cut and dry. There's no heaven without Jesus. Well, this teacher says, no, this is what God says. This is God's testimony concerning his son. This is God's testimony concerning eternal life. And if you don't have that testimony, you can have that today by turning from your sin and trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We'd love to talk to you and pray with you as in a few moments we'll be singing in response to this. And and if you have not done that, if you've been wandering away from God, maybe you want to respond even in a, just in your seat where you're at in a time of prayer, or maybe it's even coming here to the front and, and spending some time. We'd love to pray with you, whether it's on this side or that side, and, and, and just get on your knees or just stand and say, oh God, I, just, just, I desire a new work and a fresh work in my life. And here's, I shared with you some of the bad news that that if you do not have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. But here's the great news. And this is the great news that if you have personally believed and accepted the testimony of these three witnesses, the water, the blood, and the Holy Spirit, you have eternal life. And we can be as sure, as sure, as sure, as sure of that. 
Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And that inner witness of the Holy Spirit is going to compel us and call us to obey the Word of God, to be obedient to the Word of God, to be baptized, to, to say no to sin and say yes to the things of God in a growing, in a perfect way. No, none of us are there, but in a progressing way in our life. And here's something else you need to know, and this is a cool thing, folks. Think about this. Eternal life, heaven, I've not yet want, met one person, well, I've met one guy, he's an atheist, and he says, I don't want to go to heaven. Why would I want to go? But he just thinks he's going to be worm food uh, for the rest of, of eternity. And that's not, that's not true at all. Uh, he won't be, his body may be that, but, but he won't be. But most people, 99.9% .9 of people say, I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven when I die. The great news is, is that the moment that you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you believe in these three witnesses, you have eternal life. And eternal life starts the moment you are saved. Nothing can take that away from you. It's, it, and, and it's not about just meeting Jesus one day when you die. It's about meeting Jesus every day. It's about walking with Jesus. It's about daily living life with Jesus Christ. Eternal life is, is Jesus Christ in us and through us, not just something that's out there, but for today. His love, his affection for us, it changes us. And we want to obey. We want to be like Jesus. We want to change. And day by day, this happens in the life of his children until we do see him one day face to face. Do you believe this? Is this your testimony this morning? If yes, worship the Lord in thankfulness, in gratitude, from the bottom of your heart and through the loudness of your voice and out your lips. But if this is not your testimony today, I encourage you, you can make it your testimony. We'd love to talk to you during this song or after the service, pray with you. Don't leave today unless you know the testimony of God and what he has said regarding Jesus and to know this and experience his power in you and through you. Maybe you flatlined as a believer. Maybe there's areas of sin. You need to confess. You need to repent. You need to make it right with God and you may need to make it right with others. Pride is the thing that will keep many of us from doing that. Would God break us of our pride and humble us before God so that we can experience his power working in and through us. Let's pray together and would the band come, please. Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you for these truths that we can look to in your word and how you want us to know, you want us to know, you don't want us to be kind of hoping and sitting on the edge of our seat and, and think I've done enough. There's nothing we can do. Religion says do, do, do. And you say it's already been done. The work has been done through Jesus. Just believe. And Father, I pray that in our own lives, each one of us, we would examine these witnesses and we would worship you and thank you in praise and in glory and gratitude for, for all that you have done. And Lord, I pray that then ultimately too that we would know and experience this witness in our own lives, that you would do that work of transforming each one of us who call you Lord and Savior, you would, would do that transformation work a little bit more this week, a little bit more next week, and that we would continue to grow in this, to reflect the image of Jesus Christ more and more. And from this, Lord, may we have a boldness and a passion to share these truths with others. So many are being misled these days. So many are, are, are going astray. There are those who are religious. They can be in church every week and they're just going through the motions. They've marked a few boxes. They've done a few things and yet they don't truly know you. Oh God, I pray that we would have love and that we would use words since the gospel to share with others. It is necessary to use words. May we do that this week. May we have a boldness and a passion to, to live our lives sold out for you. Because of this amazing love, it demands not just a little time on Sunday, it demands everything. And would we surrender that to you? And would we just be undone by your great mercy and by your love for us here today? We pray, we love you, Jesus, and we worship you now.